0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Nebraska. We got Omaha or we got Lincoln. It's like choosing between getting poked in the right eye or getting poked in the left eye. Both are terrible and you're mad at yourself for getting in this situation in the first place. Nebraska. Unless you've got a corn fetish, just keep on moving. Life is not a movie. It's just a phase. Everybody's searching inside a maze. Never will be perfect. But we can try. Only thing that's certain is that we die
1: when our credits roll. Welcome to the Justin News Podcast. My name is Justin Cross, and today my guest. He is a U.S. Senate candidate from the great state of South Carolina. He's also a fan of Marvel movies, the restaurant chain Bojangles, whose slogan is It's Bow Time. And of course, uh, more than anything, he's a fan of helping the working people in his home state of South Carolina. He was the former chair of the South Carolina Democratic Party and now he is running to defeat Donald Trump's golf caddy, Lindsey Graham, Jamie Harrison. Thanks so much for being my guest. Oh, thanks
2: so much for having me,
1: Justin. I, uh, I got to ask, there's a lot I want to get to Jamie. Um, obviously it would be pretty incredible if you, if you, uh, beat Lindsey Graham and, and helped, uh, at least turn South Carolina purple. But if it came down to it, you either get a Marvel movie or maybe, uh, your favorite, uh, menu item at Bojangles which one are you going with
2: Oh, uh, you know what I, I've known Marvel longer than I've known Bojangles so I, I <laughs> take the Marvel movie man.
1: <laughs> that's fair that's fair I've tried I've had the biscuits I think one time at uh, Bojangles they were pretty amazing though oh they are I mean that that's
2: my favorite thing at Bojangles the biscuit and you get some strawberry jam on that sucker I mean it, <laughs> it, it's amazing <laughs>
1: people ever ask you about that when you're on the campaign trail they ever like you ever because i feel like you know obviously you're in uh you're you're probably not too uh doing too many too much stuff on the road today but uh you know when you're out on the campaign trail generally do do you get in these like random conversations about bojangles does that ever come up or well
2: you know just random conversation it's mostly here you know about barbecue uh south carolina the big barbecue the, the, the entire south is you know big in terms of barbecue but here in south carolina we have a sort of a tale of two barbecues right um part of south carolina is mustard based where the the barbecue sauce is a mustard based tangy but sweet uh and then part of south carolina is vinegar based so just like our football where you got clemson and carolina you also (laughs) got mustard versus vinegar and uh you know it, it can be fighting words uh, depending on the part of the state you're in. And so, uh, I grew up in the part of South Carolina that is a mustard base uh, uh, barbecue area, and, and you know, I, I that's my preference. But uh, uh, not to say that the other isn't good; it's just not as good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That'd be great if uh, you know I get an opportunity to speak with you, and I just spend the next twenty five minutes talking about barbecue, uh, which I can do. <laughs> I, I can definitely your, – uh, your campaign managers is going to be like, what the hell? Weren't you going to ask him about the poll numbers? What's going on? <laughs> there, no, no. I want to ask about mustard-based barbecue sauce. That's my goal here. There you go. There um, you go. <laughs> but I, I do uh, – I am wondering – it's a very simple, straightforward question, I, I'm sure, for you to answer. But how the hell does a Democrat win South Carolina?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, Democrats used to win South Carolina all the time. And, and what we did was we took our eye off the ball. We stopped um, we stopped doing the things that we need to do in, in order to, to win elections. And that's talking to the people, uh, going into these communities where folks are, uh, talking about their dreams, their aspirations, but also the things that they, they're fearful of. And so what we are trying to do is go back to that old school way of campaigning, where we're going to every community and we're asking people for their votes. And at the same time, uh, we're showing and not telling. And what I mean by that is we're showing people what our values are instead of just telling folks what we intend to do, because in order to persuade them to think that there's something different that is going to happen, uh, they need that, that visual demonstration, um, we started a program called Harrison Helps on our campaign. And it was one of the first things that I did as a candidate. And it's almost like having a nonprofit built into my campaign where we actually go into communities. We identify community organizations doing good work on the ground, helping folks. We partner with those community organizations and we do something novel in politics these days. We help people. So from school supplies drives to, uh, you know, working with Boys and Girls Club, uh, Habitat for Humanity, uh, ABLE, a number of great organizations of, uh, making sure that we're giving food to our first responders. Uh, we're doing things right now, showing people that, one, we care about them, their families, and their communities. And two, that we're letting them know that they're not in the struggle alone. That that uh, they have a candidate right now who wants to help uh, help them. Overcome these barriers, and two, if I'm in the United States
1: Senate,
2: I'm going to exercise every bit of energy and power that we have in that Senate office to do what's in the best interest of the people of South Carolina. Yeah,
1: well, that sounds like um, a pretty pretty incredible program that you guys have running there. And I'm wondering—I mean, you did outraise Lindsey Graham in the first quarter. Uh, I think you broke a state record, from from what I understand. Uh, you've You've made some significant strides in polling. Um, It really is impressive what you've been able to do so far, but with the pandemic, I mean, how have you guys been able to try to keep that momentum? Because I I can imagine that, you know, not being able to go door-to-door and do a real ground game must be tough for you. Yeah, you know, it's
2: tough, but it's tough for all of us. It's it's not a disadvantage that that we only... I have on, on our campaign, but I think every every person running for office, and particularly you know uh, running in the South, it, it this is a land of hugs and handshakes and uh, you know spaghetti dinners and fish fries. So uh, it, it has created wrinkles in terms of how we traditionally go out and and touch and talk to people. But what we have done is we were one of the very first Senate campaigns to pull back from public events and and. To go uh, mostly virtual. Um, we've had a town hall about every 10 days or so, uh, and we've made our town halls thematic uh, to address issues that people are really concerned about. So we've talked about from uh, the issues of small business to uh, you know, education, um, the healthcare, uh, particularly dealing with the coronavirus. Just recently, we had a, a, a town hall focused on. How do you uh, deal with hurricanes while at, at the same time we're in the midst of a pandemic uh, right. that, that, that that doesn't allow us to, to interact with each other? And so uh, these are some of the hot button issues that people are really concerned about. And they're, and they're very, very happy that we are, uh, we're covering those. In addition to that, I've been trying to do things with some of the down ballot candidates. We've had a few happy hours with some of our congressional candidates. Uh, These are virtual happy hours where, you know, we sort of roll up the sleeves, uh, grab grab a glass of wine or your favorite cocktail, and we sit and chat about who we are as people. Uh, And we take questions from from our constituents or future constituents. And so, um, in addition, we're on TV, radio, we're trying to throw everything on the wall and make sure that we're communicating in every medium that we possibly can.
1: Well, that that virtual happy hour sounds pretty cool. I mean, is that something that when you when everything gets back to fairly normal and you, you're able to actually campaign, is that, are you going to maybe just keep doing that just because it's nice to hang around in your pajamas and have a beer?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I I, I hope to, to, to bring that back. When I was chair, I used to have this uh, series called uh, Chair Chats where I would sit down and meet with folks and talk with them because I think it's important that we see particularly political people in a three-dimensional fashion and not just the sort of one- or two-dimensional fashion that we normally see them. You know, you you become a caricature of yourself when you're involved in politics. It's it's basically the image that you're trying to portray or the image that the other folks want want to portray of you. Rather, you know, we're much more complex, um, and so I think it's important for folks to to know what is it that I like to read, what, what did I watch on TV, what what did I do when I uh, uh, just to have fun and I'm kicking back or with my family, uh, because it then helps you to relate to that person on on another dimension, which I think it's really really important because when you know people uh, and you can relate to people, it's hard to see them in such a negative light, and I think that's really important right now because. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's important that we we get past whether you like the person or dislike the person, and really focus on whether this person is going to fight for you, your family, and
1: your community. Yeah, yeah, no, I, it's a great point. And and you know, listening to other interviews of you and just just following you on social media, you seem like a nice guy. And and I think you know, I, I'm wondering. I mean you talk about relating to people and getting, you know, them getting to know you on a personal level and almost, you know, in a lot of ways changing, I think the discourse, uh, that, that, that happens. And I'm wondering though, that's, I feel like that's going to get tested at some point, the further along you go, because we all know that at some point, Jamie, you really start to make headway here. Uh, Donald Trump is going to mean tweet you. And I'm just wondering how, how are you going to handle that when it, when it happens?
2: Well, listen. I've, even though I'm nice, doesn't mean I'm I'm a pushover. Uh, <laughs> you can't grow up, you can't grow up the way that I grew up uh, in in the tough times that I, that I grew up in, and and not be a tough person and, and have you know a backbone to steel when when you need to. And and so uh, I will always be the respectful uh, uh, you know guy that my grandma and my mom uh, raised me to be. But at the same time. Uh, I, you know, they throw a punch, you know, I'm going to throw one back. And so, uh, I don't want anybody to, to, uh, to confuse the niceness, uh, for, for meekness.
1: <laughs> no, no, <laughs> uh, absolutely.
2: uh, because that, that's, that's not who I am. I mean, I, uh, I am, uh, one of the things that, <laughs> when I used to be in the whips office, they used to talk about, uh that jim Clobber and i were the velvet whips. <laughs> we we, we give you the soft touch but we, but in the end of the day we knew how to get the votes that we needed to <laughs> order to pass the bill yeah. um, and, and that's just sort of the philosophy i'm going to respect people and treat them in the manner that they treat me uh, but if you if you're not treating me all all right then expect a, some pushback and so um, and listen, I know politics is dirty, for, and some people play politics in a dirty fashion. I try not to do that because that's not who I am. Um, but but in the end of the day, you know, the people of South Carolina want someone who is going to stand up for them. They want somebody that is not going to be a pushover or, or, or a sellout or someone who's not just carrying the water of other people. Uh, you know, and sad to say, that's where Lindsey Graham is. Um, it, the folks in South Carolina need to know that I am going to fight for them just as much as I would fight for my own family. Um, and, and that's really, really important, uh, for, for them to know and, and, and for me on a personal level. Uh, so, uh, you know, they can bring it on, uh, just be ready to get it back. I love it. I love it.
0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Steak'Em Frozen Beef Slices. We put the um in amazing. Don't take it from us. Listen to what actual satisfied customers have said. Our first review is from Deidre, who says, Absolutely horrible. Actually can't believe people consume this. It tastes like meat mixed with cardboard. No, thank you, Deidra. And here's one from Amanda. This stuff is greasy, crumbly, and I really can't describe the smell and flavor other than terrible and overpowering. I made these a week ago and find myself cringing every time I think about them. So true, girlfriend. So true. And finally, if you're not already convinced, listen to Stiz2003 who writes, This is worse than the McDonald's pink slime. It's basically the garbage from butchering beef. The horrid taste of it talked to me all night. Well, who doesn't love to be talked to all night? If you ask us, that's a product that cares. Stakeup, filling your heart with love and heavily processed animal fat, but mostly love. When our credits roll, that's all we are. Who will be an extra and who will star? Everyone we know and love and trust. Don't just love us back, they become us.
1: I mentioned in the get-go that you were the um, you were the the chair of the Democratic Party in South Carolina, and you know you went to Yale, you went to Georgetown. Um, I'm wondering two things. One is when did you know that politics was going to be your calling, and and also why choose to run for the Senate now? I mean, you obviously know know the political, political game really well, but you know. Timing is everything, and I'm wondering why you decided to to get into the race at this this point.
2: Yeah, well, you know, from a very early age, I I always loved politics and public policy. Uh, One of my first memories was uh, Jesse Jackson's convention speech at, at I think it was the 88 convention. Um, uh, You know, this guy who grew up in South Carolina the same way that I did and on this national stage talking about hope. Uh, and and it was really powerful and it got me very interested and then you know, you fast forward in 1992 you got uh, the man from Hope, Bill Clinton, ran for president, also you know, a very similar background to my own in terms of growing up poor in the South, single mom for a while uh, and then Jim Clodron had his historic run for, for Congress, first African American since Reconstruction to represent the state of South Carolina in Washington, D.C. And so it was these pivotal moments that really sparked my interest in politics and wanting to know and learn more about it. Um, I had got internships in the House and the Senate and, uh, you know, worked intern for Senator Fritz Hollings, intern for Jim Clyburn. Uh, and then, you know, fast forward, Clyburn and a few years later asked me to join his staff. And, uh, you know... In every moment, I, I saw that, that, you know, government and public service and being involved in politics was a way to really uh, affect change, to, to advocate for folks who, who couldn't uh, advocate for themselves. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, it's, it is, uh, it's an important way to, to even the playing field and to make sure that things are fair, to eliminate some of the barriers that folks face uh, not because of their own doing, but just because of the society we live in, uh, that they face the barriers that they face to the American dream. And so that's why I, I, I'm in this thing. And it's why I love it so much, um, because I, I, I have done things, you know, from passing the Matthew Shepard Jamesburg Hate Crimes Bill to increasing the, the last time the minimum wage was increased, to passing the Lily Ledbetter Fair Pay Act. Done things to improve the lives of people in this country. Uh, and ultimately made a difference, and uh, and that's why it's it's so so important to me, uh, and why I continue continue to do these
1: things. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I want to ask about how you grew up, and, and but you know, there's a lot of places. Obviously, they can kind of hear your story in, in different ways. But one of the things that that I saw on your on your Twitter page, which everybody should go and go and check that out, but. Um, not too far down on your feed was a video of a of a young man who came up to you, and um, you know you could tell he's maybe a little nervous, but he he asked he, he kind of worked up the courage and um, asked you to you know partner and be a mentor for him. And I'm wondering um, I'm wondering kind of what that meant to you, and, and maybe how much you uh, possibly saw yourself in him.
2: Yeah, you know that's really important. I I understand that I stand on the shoulders of other folks. Um, you know, when I was, uh, uh, you know, the opportunity that I have now is because other other people, people like Jim Clyburn, Earl Middleton, who uh, who was a local state rep in, in Orangeburg, who invested in me. So many folks who gave me a chance when others said, "Why? Why are you? Why are you?" working with that kid. You know, he's too young or he doesn't know enough. Um, uh, and and for me, that's really important. Uh, you know, in the end of the day, I, I, uh, you know, I spent so much of my time on Capitol Hill not only trying to, you know, we worked really hard, but I spent a lot of time having coffees and teas and lunches with other young staffers or young interns who were looking at how to get involved in politics. Uh, because they wanted to make a difference, too. And, you know, those, those meetings were just as important as the meetings that I would have with, you know, members of the, the House leadership. Because in the end of the day, I recognized that, you know, today's intern may be tomorrow's Speaker of the House or tomorrow's United States Senator or tomorrow's Governor. Uh, and here I had this wonderful opportunity to help give this person a chance. Uh, to, to build a career and ultimately put them on the track to make a difference in the lives of people. Um, you know, I ended up writing a book and other things in order to, because it got to the point where the, the coffees were old, too overwhelming. I, I couldn't do my <laughs> own work. Yeah. Uh, but but in, in order to just kind of crystallize, here's some, some, some points that you need to take. And I tell you, it was particularly difficult being one of few uh, people of color. Uh, working at the highest rungs of, of government, uh, being in those rooms as policy was discussed, and, and being one of a very few, and sometimes the only one uh, mm-hmm. to be able to talk about, uh, you know, you're debating, uh, you know, the food stamp program, right? And, and despite the fact that there are folks there with good intentions. I was the only person in the room who had ever been on food stamps. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, uh, you know, that personal experience is really, really important um, to be able to shape and color uh, what our policy should look like and how, and know how it will impact the families that desperately need those policies. Yeah. Um, and so that's really important. And that's why any young person that comes up to me or they'll tweet at me and ask for advice, I'm always trying to point them in the right direction because there were some folks uh, in key moments in my life who were able to do the same.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you have an incredible story. You know, I know your mom was, I think, 16 years old, right, when, when she had you, and you were mostly yeah. raised by your grandparents, yeah. right? You know, tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, growing up and how much your grandparents meant to you, um, you know, because I know that, you know, I heard in a different interview you did that you, you guys almost had like a symbiotic relationship. Is that right?
2: Yeah, you know, my grandparents, uh, uh, I, I, I think they, you know, these are two people I think are, are the closest people that I know could walk on water. Um, uh, you know, uh, they didn't have a whole lot of education. Grandfather had a fourth grade education. Grandmother had an eighth grade education. They didn't have much money, but they worked really, really hard uh had great character, great values. They taught me, you know, the value of working hard. They taught me the value of helping other people. And those, those things are, are, that are still living with me today and what pushes me right now. Um, and so, uh, you know, my mom was young when she had me, and so she, uh, you know, we lived with my grandparents for a while. Then she got her own house and job, and I lived with her for a while. And then she lost her job, and she had to move to Georgia. And so uh, I decided I stayed with my grandparents until she got settled, and eventually uh, I never went. I just stayed with them. But, you know, uh, we developed this relationship because they didn't have a whole lot of education, and I loved to read, and I read so well you know, above my, my grade level that we developed this relationship where that they took care of me, but I took care of them in the ways as, as well. And so, um, uh, you know, it was tough and hard at times. I remember my grandfather, we lost our house due to fraud and at the same time he lost his job. So, you know, we're staying in in the homes of family and friends for a few months until we found a place. And even the place that we found wasn't great. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I I owe my life to them, and 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 everything I do is in honor of them, and the sacrifices that people like them make each and every day for their families. Um, when I think about the hardships that people are going through right now with the coronavirus, I often think about my grandparents. Um, uh, you know, good people, simple people who just want to do the right thing, just are working hard, but. Life has not given them uh, 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 always the uh, the best hand. And so I just feel obligated to do my very best to, to
0: work with those folks and help folks like that. Today's podcast is brought to you by Sweden. No need to lock us down. No need to flock home, Stockholm. We trust our residents to distance themselves responsibly. We're really not that worried. After years of eating meatballs and pickled herring, our breath is usually so bad that everyone stands a few feet apart naturally. Sweden! You try telling Greta Thunberg to stay inside. Fear is artificial, just a thought. Something we discover, something caught. Hate me if you want, up to you. Don't care what you think, just what you do. Who will you become? from
1: who you been. if you, you don't mind, now, I do have a little segment on. that I like to do at the end of interviews called five lazy questions I wrote in 5 minutes. Okay? So <laughs> This I is I know you I know you're you're a smart guy, you went to Yale and Georgetown. I went to Florida State. So so we only we like to cram right before exams, okay? And and maybe just throw whatever <laughs> It's that's that's the divide between you and I, okay? You're uh, smart. But if, you, if you'll if indulge me here, um, this is kind of a state... It's become a standard question, okay, Jamie, that I, I've been asking certain politicians. I asked to, to, um, to Admiral Mike Franken, who's running against Joni Ernst in Iowa, and I, I want to ask you this. Um, what is your favorite corporation that donates to Lindsey Graham? Oh, my favorite... Do- favorite corporation Uh, who donates to Lindsey Graham (laughs) I'm just kidding you don't have to answer that Um, wow
2: I I have you know Lindsey gets a lot of tech dollars from a a lot of different corporations so maybe I should just I'm sure he gets one from everybody um So, what would be my favorite corporation? That is a hell of a question. I have no
1: idea. <laughs> I, I, I really, I really don't know. There's probably a long, long list of them, but um, well, let me ask you this. This has become another standard one. This is a little bit more. So, I know by my math, you graduated, I think, somewhere around 1994. Is that right? Well, high I
2: graduated school. from high school in 94. Undergrad in 98.
1: Okay. Okay. So, so what was, give me, uh, one of your favorite musicians of the nineties.
2: Mm. So uh, listen, I am, and this sort of bridges eighties and nineties. Uh, you know, I, I, grew up with Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, Michael Jackson and all. And, and if you looked at, you know, my iTunes tunes, that's, it, it's like every album those artists ever, ever wrote. But at the same time, you know, I, I grew up with my grandparents so uh you know uh james brown and aretha franklin and every motown uh, album you know uh, is it, in my it, on, on my phone as well so uh, i would say you know uh, you can't go wrong with whitney and mariah i, I love them <laughs>
1: <laughs> that sounds great yeah we i think it was a uh... Think uh, yeah, always be my baby was uh, I interviewed John. Oh, Foster, there you go. And that was his go-to. He like he said he's got like a friend and from college, and they like they like do a duet to Mariah Carey, always be my baby. So I don't, you know, I don't oh, know man. if I don't know if you're that if you've got a whole like routine or anything that you do. But
2: well, you know, I, I do have
1: like Tony Braxton, Unbreak My Heart was. Uh, oh. Yeah. oh. <laughs> My oh, junior that. year, that was that was one of
2: them. Uh, I loved some Tony Braxton for a
1: while there too. Oh yeah, I remember Tony Braxton. I I was in I was real into the VH1 during the. I'm I'm a little bit younger than you, but I I remember uh, early '90s VH1. That was like one of my first memories as a kid, and I remember Tony Braxton was all over the VH1. Yeah, she
2: was.
1: She was. And there was John Cicada and his like, his like white Miami. South Beach pants that he would rock. We all know about that. Um, so here's here's another one for you, Jamie. Um, I saw a video of you on Twitter. Uh, you have like a cooking show that you do on the side, or at least at least you're you're showing off. A, tell me about that.
2: Yeah, I was just showing off my baking skills. You know, I you know, <laughs> again, you, you grow up with your grandma. You know, one of the things about grandma she's you know, she's old school. You know, southern woman who, you know, uh, she 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 often would say she's like, you know, I have to teach all my boys how to cook, and uh, uh, and you know, she treated me like her own son. And I said, well, well, Mr. Why why do you need to do that? She said, well. You know, because I don't want y'all to get married or something like that, and then it make your, your wife mad, and then uh, you don't know how to cook, and so then you starve. <laughs> and so I, I want to make sure every, all the boys know how to cook. So listen, I know how to cook. I can sew. I I can bake. Um, uh, my grandma taught me all of that stuff. And, and, and to this day, you know, those things come uh, – I. I split a hem on my, uh, on my pants, and I'm in a hotel or something like that, and I can get that sewing kit and, and <laughs> at least sew, sew it back up so it's respectful, right? Yeah. But uh, So one of the things that I, 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 I bake a lot and I'm known for is my, my red velvet cake. And uh, I'm so known for it that when I was the floor director in the whips office, sometimes when, and we had two kitchens in our in our office in the, in the U.S. Capitol. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because, you know, they're late nights and many times you have to serve members and staff and all that food. Um, and so we would cook from time to time. You know, you, you got a Southern member of Congress and you got Southern staff. You know, we all love to eat and we love food. So we would go <laughs> and cook. So I, it got to the point where I would bake red velvet cakes. For really contentious votes, mm-hmm. and use that as an incentive to get offices <laughs> to reply to our whip questions. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so I was known on Capitol Hill for for my red velvet cakes, also. And uh, and and I told my staff that, and they said, "Well, you need to enter into the state fair." And so I did. <laughs> and I wonder I won first prize with my red velvet cakes last year. <laughs>
1: that's amazing um wow <laughs> so so if you if you become a u.s senator are you going to be bringing that to the, are you going to be bringing that to dc are you going to i mean is that going to be are you gonna oh you know it okay well
2: and listen I, I tell people all the time you look at lindsey graham you know lindsey doesn't know how to fake anything uh, <laughs> he, he probably burned, burns burns a, a bologna sandwich or something like that uh so not only will they get a better
1: senator, but they will get a senator that knows how to cook as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, that is awesome. And, and Jamie, um, lastly, can you just share with people? I mean, you have a, you know you're getting a bigger and bigger following every day as it goes. But can you just share where people can can find you on social media, on your website, and how if they don't live in South Carolina and and say. Uh, Maybe they're not a big fan of Lindsey Graham, you know. Maybe, uh yeah. Maybe they they uh, regret a certain GQ article they wrote in 2015 about how he would be the Republican candidate who I'd most like to drink with, which is something I may have done. Um, that was that was that was back in the McCain. That was when he was, you know, he seemed reasonable. But um, you know, where can people go? You know, support your campaign and help you out.
2: Yeah, listen, you could go to jamieharrison.com, and Jamie's spelled a little differently, y'all. It's J-A-I-M-E, uh, so, sort of like Jaime. So jamieharrison.com uh, is our website. You can sign up to volunteer. You can make a donation. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram uh, and go on Facebook. Um, my Twitter handle and Instagram handles, I think, are at Harrison Jamie. So H-A-R-R-I-S-O-N-J-A-I-M-E.
1: Well, uh, definitely, uh, I know I'll be um, trying to do my part to support the campaign as well, and I know so many people out there will, and uh, wish you so much luck, Jamie. I really, really hope you prevail, and uh, it would be such a huge victory if you did. And uh, thank you again for, for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
2: Thanks so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. And hopefully we'll talk again soon once
1: we win this. Absolutely. I'd love that. You know what? Maybe uh maybe, you know, you could do a little uh your victory walkout song. Something maybe some maybe bust out a little Tony Braxton in there, if you don't mind. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Jamie.
2: Okay, take care now. Bye.
1: Finally, I just want to thank the folks who helped make the Justin News Podcast happen. Uh, Mike Stocksdale, our sound engineer, producers Corey Hill and Kristen Fries, uh always bringing new elements and smart, thoughtful, funny stuff to the podcast. Uh, Kristen is, is uh, if you haven't uh, heard, she's very funny, but she's also uh, a good bit younger than us, so she always reminds us how old we are. Like in one of our last podcasts, uh, she reminded us that... Uh, Apparently, bottle cap openers on the bottom of sandals, which was a trend during the 90s, uh, not so popular anymore. And uh, so uh, anyway, they uh, they are great. And of course, Jake the Snake Cranny, our fake sponsor spokesman, um, he's just, he's got, the guy has amazing pipes and he's uh, funny as hell. So um, I want to thank them. Um want to thank Jamie and his campaign um, for, for setting this up. And, of course, Jamie was fantastic. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview and go support his campaign. And lastly, uh, if you can, there's so many great charities to, to support, but uh, I found uh, char- CharityNavigator.org. It's called CharityNavigator.org where you can, if you can, um, help out with, uh, everything that's going on with COVID-19. They actually organize it in, in rate, like the top places to give for various different things you may want to give for, uh, COVID-19 and, uh, and help out. Uh, in fact, Barack Obama, our president, still our president, he, uh, he actually tweeted about them back in, in March and, uh, yeah, they're a fantastic organization to uh, help kind of navigate where you can help out. So thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Have a great day.